Father God, we just want to say thank you for this day, the opportunity to come and worship you together as a body of believers. Jesus, we just want to say thank you for being the one to die on that cross for our sins. And Lord, as we come together today, Lord, we realize we are not perfect. We, we have so many things in our hearts and lives that we need to work on and allow you to move and just change in our lives. And God, I just pray that you would help us to be humble enough to admit that. And God, humble enough to let you in and do the work that you need to do. Lord, as we continue on in our series this month, I, I pray that you would speak, especially today, for a topic that's so important that we really need to make sure that we're honoring you in this way. Jesus, we call on your name. And Lord, we ask that you would be present among us where you said that if we are gathered together, Lord, if we agree on anything in your name, that you would give it to us and that you would be present among us. Lord, we are a group of believers today who claim faith in you. And we ask that you would be here among us. But more importantly, we ask that you would work and move and help us to leave from this place different than what we were when we came in. Because if we're not, then basically coming was for no reason. So Lord, I pray that you would work and move this morning in our hearts and in our lives. We love you. We thank you and we ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. We are still talking about the unspoken sins of the church, and today's topic is divisiveness, division. Things that come about in our lives, especially inside the church, that create division amongst believers. And uh, divisiveness, in reality, is one of those things that most people despise. Like, we don't like being divided. We don't like people who just bring up stuff and constantly are pointing out things to bring about division. But it's something that happens a lot. Um, it's something that, for whatever reason, we tolerate it. And uh, if we were honest, I think we would just have to admit that it, divisiveness has oozed its way into the church across the globe, um, inside the American church, even inside at Graham Chapel. Okay, I, I'm going to say that. If you're listening in this morning, if you're a visitor today, do not attend Graham Chapel because you think Graham Chapel is perfect or because we got something that no one else has. We have all the junk that everybody else has. And I'm not saying that to like degrade our church in any way. But let me give you this example. You got family? Raise your hand if you got a family. Raise your hand if you've ever argued with your family. You ever fought, disagreed on stuff? Uh, had stuff that you carried with you for a long period of time? It took you a long period of time to get over with your family? Okay, so it doesn't mean that you don't love somebody. It doesn't mean that you don't want to be with them. It doesn't mean that you don't care about them. But what I'm telling you is, is that even with people you love, if you're going to be with one another, there are going to come about things in time and in life that is going to cause division amongst you and your husband or wife or your children, or your parents, or cousins, whatever, that division is going to come. And the church is no different. It's made up of people, right? 
Are we listening this morning? Made up of people, right? All right. The church is not bricks and mortar. It's not stone and, and, and metal. You know, we, we lose focus of that sometimes. The church is made up of people. And as people, we have a lot of problems. We don't always do everything the right way. We don't always say the right thing. And division is one of those things inside the church that we are going to deal with. We've dealt with it in the past. We deal with it today. We'll deal with it in the future. But it's not a surprise because it's been going on since the church was started 2,000 years ago. And when we read scripture today, like we talk about unity, unity is one of those things that's mentioned probably as much if not more than anything else as the apostles are instructing the early church in how to live with one another, to be a witness, to help other people get saved. Unity is so important. In fact, unity with your fellow believers is going to be one of the greatest weapons that you can use to conquer Satan. It is. You being unified with your fellow believers, with your church, and not just with Graham Chapel, but even with other churches, the unity that you have with one another is going to be one of the greatest tools to overcome Satan in this simple world. And if you don't think that Satan is going to attack unity to divide and conquer you inside your family, to divide and conquer you inside your church, to divide and conquer you inside of Christianity in general, we're crazy. It's going to be one of the first things that he goes after. And nothing will ruin your witness faster than constantly causing strife and discord. You know somebody like this. You know somebody that you work with, somebody that may even go to church here. Uh, you, you know someone in your life, maybe even somebody in your family, that they're the ones that everybody constantly has to walk on eggshells around because there's going to be something happen. And, and even though you may feel like you cater to those people, basically you just like try to avoid them to keep stuff from happening. And, and being around them is exhausting, is it not? Is it exhausting? It's a job, okay? And we'll, we'll talk about that more in, in just a few minutes. But you, you need to understand, like, we know somebody like this. And this morning, I want you to listen to me. You paying attention? Because if you don't know somebody like this, you might be that somebody. That we have personality traits that sometimes we're not aware of that we need to grow in. That's just truth. doesn't mean that you're any more sinful than anyone else. But I just want to let you know this morning, we need to come today with open hearts and open minds and saying, Jesus, I'm willing to let you work on me today. To be aware that there are people who are like this, to be aware that we might be the people who are like this. It's going to be huge in our relationship with Christ. And I want to read to you a passage from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. This is the passage of Scripture where Jesus is... This may be the last prayer that Jesus prays. He's praying for a lot of different things, but he begins to pray for his disciples. And I want you to listen to what he says as he is praying for his followers in this passage. Let's, let's start with verse 20. And we're going to creep our way through this one, by the way. We're not going to read it all at once. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now I want you to pay attention to what that verse is implying. Jesus was not just praying for the 12 disciples 
in that moment, in that time, he says, I'm not just praying for my disciples, I'm praying for everyone who will ever believe in me through their message. In this moment, right here, Jesus Christ is praying for you. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you are included in this prayer right here. He is literally praying for you. Everyone who would ever believe in the message of Jesus Christ that these disciples would pass down to all these people in their ministry. So you with me this morning? Jesus is praying for us. We're included in this. This is a very inclusive passage of Scripture for all believers in Jesus Christ. And then look at what he prays for for you and for me. I pray that they will all be one. You follow me so far? Now, this sounds very elementary and rudimentary, but I want you to understand this morning, this is going to be one of the most important things you will read in your faith, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, that will help you grow into maturity in your relationship with God. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. And so Jesus in this moment is saying like, okay, he was one with God. Everything that Jesus was able to do, his ministry, his healing, his purpose, his his sacrifice on the cross, forgiveness of sin, he was able to do that because he and God were one together. They were unified. His relationship with God was built on unifying himself with God in every aspect of his life. And he's praying that we would all be unified just as Jesus and God were unified. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but you're sitting in here this morning with a group of people who you look around, you're very different from one another, very different personalities, very different backgrounds, very different ethnicities. There's so much differences among us this morning, but Jesus Christ's prayer is for all of us to be one, just as he and God are one. And and he goes on to say, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And so for, for the world to believe that God sent Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the one who can forgive them of their sins, you and I need to be one so that we can also be one with God. And if you're sitting here this morning and you can't be one with your fellow brother and sister in Christ, then you can't be one with God. They go together. And if we can be one, and then we can be one with Christ, then the world can believe in Jesus. In verse 22, it says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. Sound a little repetitive? What happens when people tend to repeat themselves? They're trying to get the point across. They're trying to emphasize What is important, and Jesus in this moment is continuing to emphasize the importance of being as one. In verse 23, it says, I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. There's a revelation that cannot take place unless we as believers are unified in the name of Jesus Christ. This is huge. 
This is so important. I mean, when you talk about following Jesus Christ in your life and devoting your life to him to understand how much hinges on you being one with your fellow believers and loving your fellow believers in the name of Jesus Christ is so important. It's such an important aspect of your faith. And to sit here and understand today that your relationship with God will never be truly complete until you are one with one another, until you are one with Jesus Christ like he meant for you to be. So point number one, let's go through this. We're going to work our way through this today. These are hard, heavy teachings, but we're going to do it the best we can. Point number one, don't be afraid to let it go. You remember last week we talked about anger? And I told you it was not a sermon to create cowards and people who were afraid to stand up for themselves and people who were not afraid to fight back. But it was a sermon for you to control your anger and turn that anger over to the Lord and allow yourself to display Jesus Christ more than your own personal emotions. There's a bigger picture in mind. This is the same concept. There are things that are going to happen in your life. You're going to be wrong. People are going to say stuff. People are going to hurt your feelings. They're going to do things that offend you. And we cannot be afraid to let it go. That's hard. It's hard sometimes to just swallow that down and just let it be. But when you talk about fussing, arguing, expressing opinions, etc., they're all dangerous. When you get to the point where you want to express yourself or your views or your, your, your stances and even sometimes your convictions, because we're going to talk about that this morning, there are going to be times where you feel convicted about things inside the church, things that you feel like are right, things you feel like are wrong. And any time that we engage in quarreling with one another, there's an indication of foolishness that comes along with that. And we have to be super careful. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. Remember last week we talked about anger a lot. Every time anger was mentioned in Proverbs, it went with foolishness. Well, Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. There are going to be times in our life where we want to stand up for something, where you're going to feel like, well, this is wrong. I believe this is wrong. I'm convicted about this. I feel like this is the way that we should do things. And, and sometimes just insisting on those things and constantly just making it a point and staying on them because you, you still just feel like, well, that's wrong or this is right. And you're trying to prove what you feel like is right in your heart. So that can be a foolish thing. And we have to be very careful in our lives that we don't give in to foolishness when it comes to dealing with our relationship with Christ and our relationship with our fellow believers. And every one of you knows somebody who likes to argue about stuff, right? You know somebody who just likes to argue like it's kind of like their hobby? It's just what they do for fun, all right? And, and, and it can be kind of fun whenever, you know, you have somebody who stirs the pot and just like aggravates people and, and gets stuff up, and sometimes it's fun. But then you have people who like legitimately do it and cause strife. And, and, and even for somebody who does it for fun, eventually it's just like, okay, I'm exhausted. I need a break. It's an exhausting thing. It is something that we, like, we might endure it for a certain amount of time, but even inside of marriage, inside of home, with children, with, with spouses, Within the church, eventually somebody's just going to be like, look, enough's enough. I can't do this. Like, it's exhausting. 
And you might say, well, James, what if, it's, what if this is something serious, like something to do with our faith or um, doctrine or, you know, scripture that, that we're having disagreements on? Surely we should stand up for what we feel convicted about and what we feel like, well, this is right and they're obviously wrong. Shouldn't we stand up for that? And I want to challenge you this morning. You with me? We are all responsible for our personal relationship with the Lord. Our convictions, our personal convictions, they are very important. I, I, I affirm that in your life today, that your convictions are very important. If you feel like the Lord's convicting you about something, you need to be obedient to those convictions. But at the same time, while you have personal convictions in your life, we have to be very careful that we don't sacrifice the unity of the body of Jesus Christ in order to elevate our convictions or try to get other people to align with our convictions. Because that's a dangerous game to play. And while you may be right in your life, I want you to understand there's a lot of scripture that points to that Brian over here may have one conviction and Culp over here may have another conviction. And it doesn't mean that either one of them are right or wrong. But for them personally in their relationship with God, that's what God wants them to do personally. And we have to be very careful not to quarrel and fight amongst ourselves over things that even seem very significant like scripture and doctrine and stuff like that. Because when it all is said and done at the end of the day, our goal is to lift the name of Jesus Christ high and help the world find Jesus through love and unity. You remember what Jesus said in his last prayer? He didn't say, God, I hope they agree on scripture Oh, I hope they agree on their different stances on stuff. He said, no, I want them to be unified. I want them to be together. They're all going to be different. They're all going to be all these different things. And, and so let's, let's go through some passages. Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes to Titus. Poor Titus is this Gentile young Christian who's leading this church. And Paul's writing to him and he's giving him advice as he's leading this church. And you look at verse 9. Look at what it says. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. Now, don't you think about this. Inside this church, there were people who were Jews and there were people who were Gentiles. And you had this group of people who spent their entire lives obeying laws, obeying rules, living by the stringent expectation of life that they were told their whole lives was very important and then you have all these Gentile people who get saved. We believe in Jesus too. We want, we, want to have, we want to be forgiven of our sins. We trust in him. And so now they're in this church together and you have two very different viewpoints on this is how you should live. Well, the Bible says freedom in Christ, but, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. Which one's right? And you have this disagreement. And Paul writes to him, he says, look, don't get caught up in all these foolish arguments about all this stuff. And Paul was from one of the best one of the best tribes, the best clans, the best families. He was one of the most respected young Jewish leaders of the day. And he had all the title and all the prim and all the prompt to go along with who he was. And he was sitting there telling him, like, this stuff ain't important. Like, you shouldn't be arguing about this junk. These things are useless and a waste of time. These people thought this stuff was really important. They thought they were standing up for what was right. And Paul says, it's a waste of time. There are things in our lives, things that we think, things that we feel convicted about. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, be obedient to your personal convictions to the Lord in your own personal life. 
but be very careful that you don't get caught up in wasting your time and other people's times by promoting what Jesus is calling you to do. In verse 10 it says, If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning, and after that have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth, and their own sins condemn them. You see, we risk the time in our life where we start like we start promoting our views and our convictions and all this stuff, where we risk turning away from the truth and we're just promoting our own our own things inside. And, and Paul says, look, they've turned away from the truth. Their own sins are condemning them because they're promoting their views more than they're promoting Jesus Christ. Paul also writes to Timothy. And he instructs him in the same way because guess what's going on in Timothy's church? Me, 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 me. They're arguing. They're disagreeing about stuff. Poor Timothy. Again, I say don't get involved in foolish. You see, you see the, the repetitiveness in this from Proverbs to the New Testament. Don't get involved in foolishness. Foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. You have to be very careful, man. Because while you're trying to promote what you may feel like is right in your own sense, in your own heart, you could be participating in foolishness and not even realize it. The bad thing about fools is most people don't even realize they're a fool. We, were, we, we took Perry to the rodeo last night, and there was this guy who was just sitting in front of us. He was really aggravating. Dude had no clue how annoying he was. I mean, he just stood up for everything that happened got right in the way, couldn't see, and he's just like, I mean, you know, somebody bent down and adjusted their boot, he'd stand up and cheer for him. Dude was just toasted. Did not realize it. Had no idea he was a fool. Most people who are foolish don't realize it. And that's why we have to be very careful in our lives and open and saying, Lord, teach me. Show me if I'm being foolish. Show me if I'm being ignorant in this. Help me, Lord, if I'm right, help me to stay true to my convictions in this. But be open to the leading of the Lord. And you look at verse 24 when, he's, when Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Can I just say, be honest this morning? We're all difficult people, right? I'm a difficult person. There's something in in life, like whenever Hannah and I are living every day, there are certain things I'm really difficult about. Like I don't mean to be, but I am. I'm a difficult person. You are a difficult person. There is something in life that really, like for you in particular, in this moment, this situation, for this thing, you are really difficult in. And Paul is writing to Timothy, he's saying, look, a servant of the Lord needs to be patient and able to teach and be patient with difficult people. We're all difficult people. If you want to be a servant of the Lord, you need to be patient with difficult people. Be patient with everyone. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth, and perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will turn or learn the truth. He doesn't say take these people out and strap them to a stake and burn them in the middle of the town square or flog these people or or fuss at these people or let's just have a big argument over this stuff. 
everything that Scripture calls us to do as a body of believers is all about being patient and kind and quietly dealing with things. And he says, look, gently instruct the people who oppose truth. Think about this. There are people inside of our church because we're a church and we're made up of difficult people. We're not perfect. There are going to be people who are going to oppose truth. And we cannot discard them or, or be harsh to them or impatient with them. But we are called to be patient and to gently instruct them so that they will learn truth. One of the biggest things that you can identify the foolish people and the people who aren't living for the Lord the way that they should be and people who are deviating away from truth is they're the ones who are usually wanting to fight about it. Because if you're doing it underneath your own power, you have to fight about it to get what you want. But if you are serving the Lord and you're trusting in Him, you can be quiet. You can do it in a kind and gentle and patient way. And guess what? The Lord will work it out in due time. It may not be as fast as what we would like for it to be done, but God will work it out. That's a beautiful thing about serving the Lord. We can be patient. We can do what he tells us to do because he'll work it out. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. Guess what? The church in Rome, they're arguing too. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. See, you're dealing with this whole aspect of false teachers now. I mean, this is starting to get pretty serious. We're moving from just like petty quarrels and opinions from these people. Now you're moving to like some pretty big spiritual issues. And it doesn't say challenge them. It doesn't say argue with them. It basically just says stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interest. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. Paying attention? You listening? Most people who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ want to do what is right. We want to. There's a natural desire for us to want to do what is right. A lot of times, we don't necessarily know what is right, but we want to do what's right. And there are some people out there who can speak confidently enough and put just enough slime on their words to grease them up really nice to convince other people that this is the way you should think, this is what you should do, this is the way that you should follow. And you have to be really careful in your relationship with the Lord that you're not just following somebody and to make sure that you're following Christ. There's a calling on your life to be obedient to Jesus and the Lord and do what he's calling you to do and not follow someone else and their fancy words or some agenda that they're trying to promote because you have to be really careful. You can look in churches. You can look across America. You can look across the world. There's a lot of people who've been elevated to leadership in the church who are promoting their own agendas and they're not promoting Jesus Christ because when it comes down to it, It's not about a situation or a circumstance or a conviction or what we think is right or wrong. The main thing is, is knowing that you are lifting the name of Jesus Christ high and making him look appealing and attractive to the world. And unity among the believers is the main way to do that. You paying attention this morning? It doesn't mean that you have to agree on everything. 
you're not going to agree on everything. You'll agree with everything inside your home with the people you love more than anyone else. So when you come to a church and you have a hundred and something people gathered around, you're not going to agree on everything. But the thing is, it's being unified and overlooking the things that you don't agree with because there's something more important and that something is Jesus Christ. Proverbs 21 verse 19. I always think this is funny. You know, so much of Scripture is written more towards men because it was all men writing it and basically men were reading it. But it says it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife. But guys, don't be fooled. Just like a man doesn't want to go home with a wife who complains and fusses all the time, a woman does not want to go home to a man who's fussing and complaining and fighting all the time. No one wants to go home to that. It's exhausting. And guys, if we have a church of believers in Jesus Christ who are constantly fighting and quarreling and arguing and disagreeing over everything, who's going to want to come home to that? Who's going to want to call Graham Chapel their home or any other church their home if everybody around is just fighting? I can remember being a kid and growing up, and before my family started going to church, before we got saved, there was a lot of arguing and fighting in our home, and it was, it was exhausting. As a kid, I just remember just like, I just go hide. Just, just go do whatever you got to do to stay out of the way so that you don't have to deal with You don't cause any arguments or add to this in any way. Just stay out of the way. It was exhausting even as a kid. And for people as believers in Jesus Christ, you have to understand, you want to see people get saved? You want to see your church grow? You want to see the kingdom of God grow and people make it to heaven? It's not going to happen while we're bickering and arguing with one another. We have to be willing to let stuff go. Point number two, don't be afraid to handle the conflict quickly. There are going to be things that happen between you and people in the church, between people that you love, between other Christians. You spend enough time around each other, something's going to happen. You're going to do something. You're going to say something to offend someone. Somebody's going to do it to you. And most people's nature is to avoid conflict. There are a few people who enjoy it and are not afraid of it, but most people's nature is to avoid it. In Matthew 5, verses 23 through 25, we read this last week and we use it again. It says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. There are going to be things that happen in your life that you just can't let go of. That's going to happen. We should try to let go of it. We should try to just give it to the Lord. But there are going to be things in your life that just you can't let go of, that you need to deal with. It. You're going to have to like do this the way that God is calling you to deal with it. And you can't be afraid to go and handle that situation. You're, our, most people's natural instinct is to avoid conflict. If you're a weirdo like I am, you kind of enjoy it a little bit. Growing up, I, you grow up in a home where everybody argues all the time. She's like, oh, this is normal life, just a normal day. You know, we got in a fight, everybody yelled at each other, you know, some punches. Like, who cares? That's just life. When you grow up with that, you, 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 it's weird. And so if your tendency is to avoid conflict and there's something in your life that you can't let go of, that you can't just seem to get over it, don't be afraid to go and handle the conflict. Do it. 
Because if you hang on to it, it's just like we talked about with anger. More than likely, it's going to affect you a lot more than it is the person that hurt you or did something or said something. It will affect you longer than it does them. Most of the time, people don't even know it when they offend us. We'll talk some more about that later. Now, if you don't have a problem with conflict, if it's something that you like, some people enjoy arguing, some people like, they just for whatever reason, you get off on that stuff. I want to challenge you to take some time and pray. If there's something that happens and you want to go, you want to confront somebody, you want to talk to them, you can't let this thing go, it's something you need to handle, you need to take a breath, you need to pray, you need to cry out to the Lord and ask Him to help you with your anger, ask Him to help you in a godly way, ask Him to help you in your speech and the way that you react because you could really do some damage in this. Going to confront someone and talk about this and handling this conflict is a very dangerous, intricate thing that we need to be very aware of. It's not something that we should rush to, but it's something that we should be willing to do in the name of Jesus Christ to make sure that unity is maintained. Point number three. Don't be afraid to handle it face-to-face and one-on-one. If you do need to go and confront with people and talk with people about things that have happened, you need to do it the way that God has called us to do. And a lot of times that can be scary because somebody that hurts you is not typically the person that you want to be alone with or that you're willing to sit down face-to-face and have conversations with because they've already done damage and it can be very intimidating. But Christ calls us to have those conversations and to do this. And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if you, turn, if you got your Bibles and you want to turn there, we're going to be in Matthew 18 for the next several verses. But it says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. And I, I just want to remind you this morning that what we're talking about these next several verses, this takes a lot of faith to do this. Because there's ways that we handle stuff that we like, temptations. There's going to be a temptation in your life not to do this the way that God wants you to because Satan is going to be trying to keep the division there because as long as we're divided, we're weak. So there's going to be a lot of temptation. There's going to, of, there's going to be a lot of thoughts of, well, maybe there's a better way of doing this and going and doing this the right way because the right way is usually the hard way and we like to avoid hard things, don't we? And so it's very important that we have enough faith in Jesus Christ to do what Scripture has called us to do, to go and to have the conversation face-to-face with the person one-on-one. Because I want you to think about what happens if you don't have the conversation with someone face-to-face, but then someone else, you tell someone else, right? And you tell someone else, well, they did this, they, they said this, you know, all this stuff happened, I can't believe they did this to me, all this stuff, and you say this, and then word gets back around to them, they say, well, you know, like, you really hurt so-and-so's feelings. And whenever you find that out from someone, I don't know about y'all, if, if you've ever found something like that out, when I found that out, I'm like, well, why didn't they come talk to me about it? Why couldn't they be big enough? How, like, how petty and silly is somebody to, like, to feel that way. But, but, so when I hear it from someone else, for me personally, there's been a tendency in my life to just like become angry because they weren't brave enough to come tell me to my face that I offended them. And it's like, well, why could they be so petty? And I started saying, well, why are they so immature that they're running their mouth to other people about me and not coming to talk with me about it? You see the difference in the, in the two? I mean, there's, there's a need in our life to handle conflict intricately 
with the person who's offended you. And there's, there's a lot of grace and love and mercy and wisdom in maintaining that hurt and animosity just between the two of you. Because once it gets out, then you're dealing with everyone else's opinions, everyone else's expectations, everyone else talking. Then now you've offended this person. And then once they've offended you and you've offended them, now who apologizes? You make it so much more complicated. But if we go to them and we do that personally, we do it the way that God wants us to, and there's a lot of wisdom in that. Even dealing with teenagers over the years in youth group, if there's ever been a time where someone has offended someone else by something they said or something they did or anything that's happened, usually if the people will just go and say, hey, like, you did this to me, you said this, this really hurt my feelings, most of the time even teenagers can get it resolved. It's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I, I didn't mean to offend you. That's not how I meant it. I'm sorry that I... I used you as the butt of my joke. You know, it's like all these kind of different things they've argued about. But guess what happens whenever they bring it up in front of everybody and they make a big deal out of it and everybody's watching? It escalates quickly. Because when pride and audiences get involved, it becomes a whole different thing. There's wisdom in what God calls us to do. And if we do it according to the way Christ calls us to, we'd be surprised that even teenagers, even kids can handle stuff appropriately if they do it the right way. Most people are very willing to apologize. Most Christian people are probably even willing to apologize even if like, I don't understand how I hurt that person, but man, I would apologize to them just to, you know, to help them get over this and make them feel better. It's like, you understand what I'm saying? It's like most Christian people want peace. They want unity. It's something that we should desire. And everyone deserves the benefit of the doubt. Now, there are some really mean people in the world who purposefully hurt others, but most people don't just go around purposefully hurting other people and saying stuff. People deserve the benefit of the doubt. People deserve grace and mercy. And we're called to give it to them. Point number four. Don't be afraid to seek out help. There are going to be times in life where you're going to do this in a biblical way and you're going to go to that person one-on-one and they still are not going to see their fault. They could be 100% wrong. They're not going to apologize for it. And Jesus has, thankfully, Jesus prepares us for the opportunity whenever we come along times in life where we meet mules. Anybody ever met a mule before? Most of y'all probably haven't ever had to work with a mule before. Very stubborn honorary creatures. And if you meet a mule and somebody who's not willing to apologize, not willing to admit they're wrong, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 16 through 17, these are the following verses. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say might be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So Jesus says, hey, you go to this person in the way I tell you to, one-on-one. If they're not willing to acknowledge it, go get you a tag team partner, and you go do it together. Now, I want you to be careful in this. Because let's just say that Nick and Wes have an argument going on. And you got to be really careful whenever you like go to confront one another that you don't take your bestie, your BFF, your best friend along with you to go and confront this person. Because that's not particularly fair, is it? When you have somebody who's going to naturally take your side. 
See, there's a calling in our life to, to have Christian brothers and sisters and do it in a right way, in some way that someone is neutral in the situation who's not going to be prone to take one person's side over another. It might even be more beneficial to take one of Wes's friends over there to talk to him if he's been the one in the wrong, for his friend to say, hey man, like you're wrong. You shouldn't have done this. But to handle that conflict in a godly way. And there are going to be some people that if you take two or three witnesses, they're still not going to acknowledge it because they're a mule. They're not a follower of Jesus Christ. They are their own person. And they're going to be stubborn. And in verse 17, it says, If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. In no way does it say argue with them, fight with them, you know, take sides, you know, do all this. It just says if they refuse to admit wrong, if they refuse to repent, treat them as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Shun them. Have nothing more to do with them. And if somebody says, hey, so-and-so says this, but I'm like, nope, they're not even part of our church anymore. They're not a part of our church because they're, not, they're only in it for themselves. They're not willing to honor Christ. They're not willing to promote unity. They're not a part of Graham Chapel anymore. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been in church where you saw a situation or a disagreement between two people brought before the church and decided on and someone cast out of the church? Nobody? I kind of think this is a little scary. Because I've been saved for 22 years. I've been a part of church for 22 years. I've never seen this take place. And so what that means is, is that we've never had disagreements. We've never had people who've refused to admit wrong or repent. And I know that ain't true. And you know that ain't true. And so what it means is, is that of all these years, all of you have been coming to church, some of you your whole life, and you've never seen this verse of Scripture, this command by Christ, handled or acted out in this way. What it means is, is that we have a group of believers being a part of the church, claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ, who's never been obedient to Scripture and what it's called us to do. Now I want you to think about how many churches have split over disagreements and discourse. Any of you know of a church right offhand that split over disagreements and discourse? Yeah, that happens all the time. But I've never seen this passage of Scripture acted out inside the church. Guys, I'm telling you, when I was telling you earlier that you got to have faith to do this, you got to have faith to do this. Because this is going to seem bizarre. It's going to seem like, man, I'm not getting up in front of the church and being like, so-and-so hurt me, or they said this, and they're refusing to do this, or they did this, or they, you know, they took advantage of me, or whatever. And like, you, you deal with that situation, and it's like, I'm not getting up there and being vulnerable like that. Then you have to think about whether or not you're, you have more sin in your life than what they do by what they did. By not trusting in Jesus Christ enough to act this out, to act his commands out inside the church. And if we allow unity or disunity, quarreling, divisiveness to take place in our church, we're committing one of the greatest sins that the church can commit. Everything hinges off of our unity. And if there's discord and division among us, we're going to be weak. 
we're not going to be able to grow. We're not going to be able to be one with Christ. And what's funny is, you know, it's like you look at Matthew 18 verses 15 through 18, and we've never seen that acted out, right? You've never seen that really acted out in life. Like maybe it's like people's like tried to do it one-on-one or two or three, but you've never seen like people like taken before the church and like set that example to the congregation of this is what happens if you refuse to repent and humble yourself before the Lord. But we love Matthew 18 verses 19 through 20. I mean, I used this in my prayer earlier. It says, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. We love that, right? We love unity. If we can agree on something, God, we can ask for it, God will give it to us. We love that. And in verse 20, it says, for where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Man, that just, just makes you feel good, don't it? But what you have to understand is, is that Jesus uses those verses in 19 through 20 to affirm what he's telling you to do in verses 15 through 18. You see, in order for you to truly be unified and to truly agree on stuff, you got to carry it out all the way through. You can't have people quarreling and bickering with one another. You can't have differences of opinions winning out inside the church and in meetings and and things that, well, I think that we should do this or I feel convicted about this. I think this is wrong. You can't have all that stuff going on and truly be unified. And that's exactly why Jesus followed verses 15 through 18 with 19 through 20 talking about If you stay unified and you're willing to protect your unity, even at the expense of maybe losing a few people, your church will be healthier. You will truly be unified. And then when you agree and you begin to pray and you begin to ask, because if you're truly unified, you're all going to be praying and asking for the same things. doesn't matter opinions. It doesn't matter convictions. You're all going to be saying, what do you want most? Do you really want people to be saved the most? You really want to see your community, the revival happen in your community for Jesus Christ to start saving people, people repenting of sins, people giving up addictions, people turning their lives over to the Lord. When you really start being unified, you'll be asking for the same things, and Jesus will give it to you. And you'll be asking for the right things. You'll be asking for things that you can't even argue whether or not it's God's will. And then because of your unity and your prayers and your agreement, wherever you are, God will be there. And the people of the world, they'll see it. And they'll be drawn to it. They won't be worried about whether or not, oh, them people down at Graham Chapel, they're arguing, they fight, they they talk junk about each other all the time. People will be saying, dude, I don't know what's going on at Graham Chapel, but I don't ever hear anything bad about them. I've never heard anybody say anything bad about Graham. That's what we should desire is that people, even from our own congregation, that we have nothing but good things. And not really just talking about what our church is doing or what this class is doing or what this preacher is doing or anything like that. It's really saying Jesus is number one, that we're pointing everybody and everything towards Jesus, that Graham Chapel is a Jesus, God-honoring church. One final thing. We talk about unity, and there's a 
there's a calling on our life, not only to be unified with each other and to make sure we're not quarreling and fighting with each other, but we also really shouldn't be quarreling and fighting with the world either. And this past week, you know, federal courts turned over Roe versus Wade. And I'll be honest, I was shocked. I mean, I was glad. I was super happy to see that. I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime that that would be reversed. Absolutely shocked. And so one of the biggest issues that's being asked or talked about right now is, okay, now that the church has had a win, it's been a long time since we've had a win with the federal government, right? It has. It's been a long time since we've had something happen for Christianity that we've been promoting, we've been asking for for a long time. It's our first win in a while. How are we going to handle that? How are you going to respond? Because there's a temptation in every single one of our lives to throw our nose at people like, ha ha, we won this one. You know, it's like to, to just go crazy and like overreact about it. Or are we going to be gracious in our response? Are we going to be loving? Are we going to be patient? Because there are going to be people who are sitting around yelling. Now, instead of Christians picketing and protesting abortion clinics, now there's going to be people who are going to be picketing and protesting churches and religious events, protesting the overturning of Roe versus Wade. How are we going to handle that? How are we going to respond to that? I was hanging out with a friend this week, and I'd already had all my scriptures picked out. I was already basically done with the sermon. And as we were together... He shared with me a verse that he had been reading, and he said, man, I've just been reading this over and over and over again, and it's really been speaking to me. It's just reminded me of so much, and I'm just trying to stay on it, so this, this will kind of set my life. But in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, it says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. You just remember that in your life, even when you're out there with people of the world, there's a greater thing that you should be working for, and that's promoting Jesus Christ. And we have to be very careful not to promote personal ideas, personal convictions, things that we prefer. We got to be very careful about that, even out in the world. But we are pointing and promoting Jesus Christ to make the most of every opportunity. Then you look at verse 6, it says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everyone. In some versions, it says, let your conversation be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you will have the right response to everyone. Now, I don't know about y'all, I love salt. I salt everything. There's two people in the world, people who eat salt and people who can't because of health reasons. Like, There's no reason why you wouldn't eat salt other than the fact that you can't anymore. I love salt. And you look at this, and Paul's writing to the church. And he's telling us, like, look, let your conversation be gracious and seasoned with salt. And, and salt has, does two things. Number one, it makes stuff taste better. So your speech will be more receptive because it would taste better to people who's receiving it. But salt also has a preservation quality to it. Like you can preserve food. And so like back in the day before we had refrigeration, they used salt to preserve a lot of food. Especially back in biblical times. And, and so your speech should also be flavored well, but it should also be preserved for such a time that you can make the most of the opportunity in the moment. You got to be very careful with your words, very careful with what you say, very careful with how you respond in these days and times. 
not only among your fellow believers, but especially people of the world. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you will have the right response to everyone. There's a bigger picture that you're called to. You are called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guys, if you're, you're, if you're divided, if there's animosity between you and other believers, if there's any division among us, we're never going to be one with God like we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be united with God. And you can't do that apart from one another. There's power in the body of Jesus Christ. There's power in the church. He knew this. He understood this. That's exactly why he prayed, not just for the disciples at that time, but for everyone who would ever believe for all of eternity, that we would all be unified together. And that unity will be the greatness, witness, and testimony that you can give to the world. You're not going to do it by screaming. You're not going to do it by shouting. You're not going to do it by aggravating people and provoking people. You'll do it through love and unity inside the body, pointing everyone to Jesus because he's the main thing that we should be focused on. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your teachings. And Jesus, I know that it's not always easy to obey all these things. Lord, it does take a lot of faith to go about doing this the way that your word commands us to because it doesn't always make us feel comfortable. It doesn't always make us feel safe. It makes us feel so vulnerable to do some of these things. But Jesus, when we put ourselves in your hands and allow you to have control, we will be so much better off. I pray, Lord, you would help us to have the faith in you we need to do all these things according to your word. And I pray that you would help us to be unified as one, just as Christ and God are unified together. I pray, Lord, that we would be unified with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.